you wouldn't literally be able to walk without his hand. Yeah, I dropped it down a little bit to get it out of the other one. Is that, that more better? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of James, the epistle of James, chapter 1. And uh, I'm kind of continuing to go through, it seems like the Lord has me going through several books. You know, I was in Romans chapter 1, and then I went to Ephesians chapter 1, and now I'm in James chapter 1, and I've just been preaching through the first chapter of several books and and trying to uh, just break each of those verses down in that chapter and find out what it is that God is saying to us. I believe that He's leading us in a direction. He's leading not only our church, but our church is made up of homes, and our homes are made up of of uh, individuals, families, and, and individuals. So ultimately, He's leading us individually. He's leading you. He's leading me uh, by, the, by the preaching of His Word, by the power of the, the Holy Spirit illuminating, opening our hearts and our minds and giving us direction and helping us to follow Him. And there was a verse here in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to go through this whole chapter or at least we're going to try to in 40 minutes. But uh, verse 2 says this, Brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, now I almost, I didn't, but I almost titled my message, The Trying of Your Faith. And we're going to be talking about that for sure, but what I really realized when I went through the whole chapter several times that there was a deeper teaching, there was a deeper meaning, a deeper revelation that God gave to me. And it's talking about our faith. It's not really so much talking about our trials and tribulations and the temptations that come our way as Christians. Certainly we all go through those things. But, but it's the trying of our faith that brings our confidence in God. You see, as we go through these trials and tribulations, heartache and suffering in this life, in this world, in our homes, families, and in our, our nation and in the life that we live, it's going through those things that really put our faith to the test. And when we say to the test, it's kind of like when you send gold through the fire and you burn away the dross and on the other side of the fire, the gold comes out more pure. If you send iron or metal or steel through the fire, and it, then it, it burns away the impurities and it becomes harder, it becomes stronger. So, so I realized that, well, Lord, what, what you're wanting me to do by studying this chapter, what you're wanting me to see, and not only me, but I believe this congregation, our church, is that we can be sure of God. There's a lot of people, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Lord, I believe thou, help thou my unbelief. You feel, ever feel that way? That Lord, I, I do believe, you know I believe, and I only believe because you believed in me. I don't know why you did that. But you loved me first. I love you reciprocally. I, I love you back. Uh, I, I understand that 
I, I trust you and I have faith and I have confidence in you to the degree that you moved in my heart, illuminated my mind, regenerated my soul and drew me to yourself. Lord, I have faith. I have confidence. I have trust. I believe in you. But Lord, I realize that there's another part on the inside of me. See, that's the spiritual part. That's the part that God illuminates, regenerates, wakes us up and saves our soul. And then the Holy Spirit of God comes to take up residence on the inside of us. And we have a new nature. We have a holiness now living on the inside of us. Not our holiness. There is, listen, there is, there is a self-righteousness that is a good thing. Most people, when you hear the word self-righteousness, it just makes you cringe. And you think, wow, you know, that's not, that's not good to be self-righteous. But the Bible says the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man. So God calls us to be righteous, and that practically, practically means we practice righteousness. We practice holiness. Now, we don't want to be holier than thou, and we don't want to lift ourselves up in pride, but we do want the glory of God to shine through this vessel of flesh and for other people to be able to see God in us. One of my favorite verses, and I'm sure you know it by now, if you've been around very long at all here, for I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm crucified. That means I died. Paul says, I die daily. For I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, live in this life, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So what we want to do is submit and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the point that God living on the inside of us is made so manifest through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Christ and they're drawn not to us, not to our church, but they're drawn to the person of Christ. That they too might come into an intimate love relationship with Him. And that we can be sure. We can be sure of God. Now, I'm going to start back in verse 1. And there are three points that I want to make here in the next 30 minutes or so. And first of all, is that we can be sure of the purpose of God. That God has a purpose in your life. Now I know that there's a there's a there's a world out there of religiosity. There's a a, a group of people on television that, that say God has a good and perfect plan for your life, a, a, a plan of blessings. They take a Jeremiah verse, a verse out of the Old Testament when he's writing to the nation of Israel, and he has a specific verse for a specific purpose. For a specific people at a specific time. And now people in this time under a different purpose is taking that verse and trying to apply it to their lives as though God is, you know, just wanting to give everybody uh, whatever it is that they want. I mean, if you just ask, He'll, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you're unable to, to receive. And, and that's just, we know that that's not true. Paul, the apostle, knows that's true. Not true. He, he had his head chopped off. Uh, all of, I mean, John knows that that's not true. He was boiled in oil. And he wouldn't die. 
So they put him on an isle of Patmos, a, a prison island, kind of like Australia, which is what uh, England did, was take all of their refuse, all of their inmates, and, and put them on an island called Australia, and that's how the nation of Australia came to be. They were just a bunch of inmates that were, were shipped there and dropped off on a, a deserted, huge island. And they left him on the Isle of Patmos, and he, and he just lived out a long, old life there, being skinless and, of course, boiled in oil. It's not always pleasant just because you're a Christian. Now, we don't understand that in America. We, we think that, you know, God loves us, and you hear all of this teaching on, on the Internet and on television from these evangelists that say you can live your best life now. Did you hear what that sounded like? That you can live your best life now. I mean, one of the most popular preachers in America. That, that's one of his slogans, and that's all it is. It's not biblical. Certainly, I don't want to live my best life now. I'm, I'm looking forward to my best life on the other side of death. Amen. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm not looking forward to tomorrow. If God leaves me here for another day, fine. I'll, I'll go where I'm sent. I'll stay where I'm put. I'll give what I got. I'll live the life that God has called me to live for His glory and His honor until I don't have it to live anymore. But I'm not looking for my best life here and now. And when you read verses 1 through 12, look at this. It says James, and he says he is a douloi, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing. A douloi is the lowest galley slave in the bottom of the boat, chained to the bottom, oars, rowing the, to the beat of the drum, sweat, dying, starving, thirst. And, and listen, that is the type of, of servant that Paul and James have made themselves purposely. God didn't make them until He reached into the heart, eliminated them. They fell in love with Him and then they chained themselves to the bottom of the boat and to the oars because of love. They were chains of love. And He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Oh, by the way, did you realize that James is the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus Christ, the man who wrote this book? He didn't even believe in Jesus while he was doing his ministry on earth. It was not until the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ coming back that James really got involved with a lot of this stuff because he, he, he just didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah. But certainly Jesus showed himself to him and it changed everything. It changed his heart. It changed his destiny. And now he is counting his brother as Lord. James, a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. They're not lost. God knows exactly where they are. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now that word count, that is literally a mathematical terminology that says you accredit the things that you are suffering, not as a negative, not as a minus, not as a detriment to your life or to your account, but you accredit it or you count it as a positive to your life. And look at what he's talking about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or different temptations. 
Now we would usually count it all joy when we came out, when we rode through and made it to the other side of the temptation or the trial or the heartache or the suffering or whatever it is that God has, you know, purposed for our lives. He allows these things to come into our lives. Those people that are preaching all that health, wealth, and prosperity and that God loves you and God wants the best for you and you can live your best life here. And now we realize just by looking at the characters of the Bible that that cannot be true. But we can also say that we do believe in a miracle working God and that God can take what looks like trials, tribulations, heartache, and suffering and turn them around to make them a positive in our life. That we going through that fire, we going through that trial, we going through that tribulation and that that temptation, that we come out on the other side more precious vessels of honor unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Count it all blessings when you fall. It's not that you walk into purposefully. We realize that sometimes we do. Sometimes we choose to sin against a holy and righteous God. And we bring the things into our lives that, uh, that take place. But God says here that we fall into diverse temptations, realizing that it's not God and it's not us. Sometimes it's the enemy that comes against us and leads us into darkness, leads us into places that angels fear to tread. But we realize that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they, they comfort me, they protect me. And I realize that I'm not alone. No matter where it is that I go, no matter what it is that I'm, I'm suffering through, I realize that the presence of God is always there. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Boy, I like that. That trial, that tribulation, that heartache, that suffering that I'm going through, be careful when you pray for patience. Uh, and and I, I pray for patience. And people say, well, no, don't pray for patience because the Bible says it's trials and tribulations, heartache and suffering work with patience. So if you pray for patience, God's going to send you trials and tribulations and heartache and suffering. And you shouldn't say, oh, you should say, amen. Because it is those things that work patience in our lives. And I'm telling you that, to be honest with you, they are one and the same. You look at what it says, patience and wisdom go hand in hand. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking, wanting nothing. That there's nothing in your life, spiritually, that you come up short in. And you do that by going through the trials, tribulations, heartache, and suffering, and those things working in your life, patience, that you might know how to live a life in this world, no matter what the devil or what the world throws at you. You can take it calmly, patiently, faithfully, knowing in whom I have believed, that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Now notice this, but the patience, but let patience have her perfect work. And that perfect work is that work of patience that we may be perfect and entire or complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lack, wait a minute, you just said 
we ain't going to lack nothing. If, if we go through trials and tribulations and we, we do it well, then what we're going to learn from that is, is patience. And patience has its perfect work, and that perfect work is wisdom. But if you lack wisdom, you see, patience and wisdom, they go hand in hand. That as God gives me patience, then I learn how to take the trial, take the tribulation, take the heartache, take the suffering, and use it wisely in my life. You know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is information gained. I go through trial, tribulation, heartache, and suffering, and all I get from that is knowledge. What good did it do me? Nothing. But if I go through trials, tribulation, heartache, and suffering, and if I've learned patience, and the next time tribulation, heartache, and suffering comes, and I take it patiently, now I have become wise. And I'm trusting in God and trusting on Him and Him alone, not in my own power, not in my own intellect or wealth or anything else that I have other than an intimate love relationship with God Almighty. And that I know who I have believed. How do I know? Because I've been down this road before. This isn't my first rodeo. This isn't my first trial. This isn't my first tribulation. This isn't my first temptation. This isn't my first stumble and fall into temptation. And not only fall into temptation, but fall to the temptation. And then have to get up, dust off, confess, repent. Turn around and go back to God and ask for forgiveness. And start all over the second time, the third time, the fiftieth time, the hundredth time. And the more we go through those trials and tribulations, the harder we become, the stronger we become, the more patient we become with the things of the world and the things that come against us. In this life, if any of you lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But, see, there's always, there's always a but to those. People say, well, the love of God is, is without condition. No, that's not true. The, the love of God that brings salvation into my heart was not based upon any good thing in me. That is true. But I do realize that if God's blessings are going to come in my life, it's going to be because not that He gave me faith and saved my soul, but because I made a determination in my life to be faithful. Faithfulness does not bring salvation, but salvation brings faithfulness. Faithfulness brings wisdom and brings intimacy with God. And ultimately, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. And when we're going through these things, then we ask God, patiently enduring to the end, to give us wisdom and to help us, God, to be able to live this life no matter what's going on in my heart, in my home, in my family, in my life, in my body. You understand that this thing called life is not easy. This thing called Christianity is not easy. It's not just a just a roller coaster fun ride. Like we we're just having a blast, you know, being a being a crowd. I see people like that on on television and all these name it and claim it guys. Like and they're they're. I, I, I talked to one last night online that he he says, man, I, I want everything that that the father. Uh, gives to me and wants to give to his children. And I say, well, there's, there's your problem. You're wanting rather than giving. You're more interested in receiving rather than pouring yourself out and surrendering your heart and your life and your love and your, your, your relationship 
pouring it out on the altar of sacrifice. See, there's no sacrifice. You're not looking to sacrifice yourself for the glory and honor of God. What you're wanting is God to sacrifice Himself for you and that He bought all of these gifts and you know signs and miracles and wonders and healings and all of these things. And you're just wanting God to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can... And you think that that is success. When it comes to religiosity, spirituality, but it's really just the opposite. It's the opposite. Spiritual success comes from sacrifice. Spiritual success comes from being like Christ. And the Bible says in the verse in Philippians, who being in the form of God, Christ, who being in the form of God, Christ was in the form of God, Christ was God. Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why was it not a robbery for for Christ to be equal with God? Because He was equal with God. But Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon Himself the form of a servant and became obedient. You see, that is what we do. That is what trials and tribulations bring to the table in our life. That's why we should not jump from mountaintop to mountaintop thinking, woo-wee, yay, God's on my side. No, I'm on God's side. And it's the mountaintop experiences that everybody wants, but it's the valleys that bring us closer to Christ. It's the heartache and the suffering and the trials and the tribulations that make us love Him more when we see Him reaching into our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives, our church, our nation, and having an impact in our lives. And as long as all we're doing is riding the roller coaster, we miss those bottoms because of the hilltops. My friend, we need to realize that we want what's best for us. And sometimes we don't even know what that means. We don't even realize what that is. It says, if you lack faith, ask God. And He giveth to all men liberally. And He upbraideth not. Or upbraideth not. And and it shall be given unto Him. But let Him ask in faith. You see, if you don't ask in faith, if you don't ask believing that you're going to, to, to really receive what it is that you're asking for, oh, oh and, and if, you, if you're asking that you may consume it, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Do you realize that we can ask for what God wants us to have, and we ask for the wrong reason? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. But when he asks, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a sea of the uh, a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man. What is a double-minded man? A double-minded man is the one that goes to the Lord. That's the mind that he has. Is to go to the right window of opportunity to receive what it is that he needs. Oh, I understand. God says if I lack wisdom, come to him. Okay, I'll go. But why are you going? Are you going to gain wisdom to use it upon your own lust? 
Or are you trying to gain the wisdom to use it for the glory and the honor of God? You see, if you're double-minded, if you're going to God, which is one mind, that's the right thing, but you're going to use what you're asking for upon the flesh, then it's a double-minded man. And that man is tossed to and fro with the waves of the sea. And don't let that man, that type of man, believe that he's really going to receive anything from God. That's what I had the conversation with the young man on the internet last night. I said, the reason that you're wanting all the gifts of the Spirit the reason, I mean, what, what good really does speaking in tongues do for you? Does, does it help you magnify the Lord? Well, sure, other people can see the Lord in, oh, so it's not seeing the Lord, it's seeing the Lord in you that you're after. Because the Bible says that tongues are for a sign, not to them which believe, but to them which believe not. And that it was not given to the Gentiles, but it was given for the Jews. And now that that is, is finished, that is done, that is past, now we walk by faith and not by sight. And those sign gifts are just for a, a twinkling of the eye, just for a moment of time for the Jews to come from Judaism to Christ. And now when that which is perfect is done, is come, that which is in part shall be done away. And the Bible says literally, Tongues shall cease. My friend, I'll tell you what will not cease. And that is sacrifice. That is love. That is dedication. That is commitment. That is submission. That is surrender of our lives to the Lordship. And this whole first 12 verses, let's pick up where we left off in verse uh, seven. It says, uh, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but let the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withered the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man. Rich, poor, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter whether you're an American or an African. It doesn't matter where you were raised in, in, a, in a Christian home or in a pagan home. Do you think that God is unable to reach into any heart, any mind, anywhere He chooses and to have an impact in their life? Certainly He is. But what is that impact given for? What is it arrived in our heart and in our mind to do? Well, it's to bring glory and honor to God, not to self. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. It doesn't matter what kind of man he is. But if he endures temptations, for when he is tried, when he's tried by fire, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Do you understand the bottom line? Oh, oh well, then you're saying that I'm going to receive the crown of life. I'm going to receive salvation based upon my good works. No, you've got it backwards. Because we've received the crown of life, because we are saved, 
we will live the life, run the race, fight the fight, keep the faith. We're going to do the works because we are saved. We don't do the works in order to be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Salvation brings good works. Good works does not bring salvation. But what that verse said, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Why? Because when he is tried, he shall receive that crown of life, which the Lord has promised them that love him. How do I know I love him? Because I obey him. How do I know I love him? How do I know I'll receive the crown of life? How do I know I'm saved here in this life before I step out of this life into the presence of God and receive the crown of life? How do I know I'm going to go from here to there? Because I keep His commandments. He that hath His commandments and keepeth them, He it is that loveth Him. Do you understand? He that loveth me not, keepeth not my commandments. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's black ink on white paper. It's amazing to me that something so simple can seem to be so complicated in so many hearts and minds. Well, all that tells me from verse 1 through verse 12 is that you can be sure of the purpose of God in your life when you're going through trials and tribulations that God is there in the midst of those things working out His plan and His will in your heart and in your home and in your life. You look at verse 13 through 20 and I've got to step on the gas just a little, a little bit. And it says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let not every man, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, in those verses, just 13 through through 20, well, we can be sure of the goodness of God. We can be sure of the purpose of God because of the trials and tribulations. But I can be sure of the goodness of God. And I mean this, not, not the goodness of God towards us, but that God Himself is indeed good. That there is no shadow of turning. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no no underlying purpose behind God's actions against us. He's not dangling the carrot in front of your face and just snatching it away right at the nick of time playing some evil joke on you trying trying to see just how much it is that you can stand. Or take. No, God has a purpose and a plan for our life. But He's not the one who sends the carrot 
The temptation to sin. The temptation to stumble. The temptation to fall even in sin. He, he allows Satan to do that. He can stop it. I understand that, that it's not God that's doing it, but God is still in control. He can stop that mess in a, in a heartbeat. But it is we who chose to rebel against sin and to go all our own way. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to His own way. But God lay on Him, Christ, the iniquity of us, His people. God lay on Him the iniquity of us all. I'm thankful that God doesn't cause us to sin. By the way, the Bible says that God not only doesn't tempt us to sin, but that God Himself cannot be tempted to sin. And to tempt us to sin would be sin on God's part if He were to dangle the carrot. You think about Job, and you say, oh, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't God do that to Job? Well, certainly God was the one that answered Satan when Satan came to him and said, uh, yeah, I've, I've checked out your, your boy. I, I've, I've looked at him. And you know, you've got him hedged about. You've got him protected. I, I've got a lot of power. I've got a lot of things. I, I can do a work on him. I, I believe he'd cuss you to your face if you'd let me hit him. And God said, Go. Do you think God would have said go if He'd have believed that one of His children, Job or anybody else, would have fallen to that temptation? I don't know. I don't know. But it's the trying of your faith that maketh you stronger. It's not the trying of your faith that maketh you lose your salvation. You're not going to lose. You're not going to die. You're not going to be separated from God for an eternity. And what God was allowing Satan to do in Job's life was temper and strengthen and build him up for the future. God's building up our lives for His glory and His honor. Not tearing us down. God doesn't want to hurt you. I had a preacher, one of my boys, one of my students, when I was a pastor down the road, and they started going to a seminary class with a guy. He's gone and he's in heaven now. Uh, wonderful brother, Brother Tommy. And he, uh, he had like seven uh, master's degrees. And one of the countryest guys... You'd ever want to meet. You'd never know. He was so educated. But I was I was jealous. Not of his degrees, but I was jealous of my boys. <laughs> I put a lot of effort in them teenagers. I had taught them, and now all of a sudden they were coming out from under my wing and going over to, to some other preacher's house and getting stuff put in their head that I wasn't so sure of. And I went and talked to him about it. And he looked me dead in the eye. worry about him, brother. I promise you I will not hurt him. And I believe that God says the same things to us. Though He allows the world to come against us. He doesn't reach into our hearts and, and cause us to stumble Himself. He doesn't tempt us, but He allows us because of our sin and the sinfulness of the world around us, which is our sinfulness, to have an effect in our lives. He allows those heartaches and sufferings to come knowing that He's not going to allow us to ultimately perish, but that He's ultimately going to build us into something that can bring glory and honor to Him. You look at those verses one more time, and it says that uh, verse 19 and 20, 
Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You see, those are the things that those trials and tribulations, heartaches and, and, and persecutions bring into our life. Those are the patience that, that come from those things. We become swift to hear. We're more apt to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry, slow to wrath. And the wrath of man does not work at the righteousness of God. And when we're going through those things and the Holy Spirit of God is tempering and strengthening in us and bringing to mind patience. Patience. Don't, don't rush. Don't make, don't make hasty decisions in your life. Because when you do those things, you mess up. Take it slow. Take it easy. And you can be sure of the goodness of God in your life. Well, in verse 21 through 27, we see that you can be sure of the Word of God. Verse 21 says this, Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness, superfluity, naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted Word. You see, it's the Word. Now, that's what I told the guy online last night, yesterday, several times during the day. He would text me and we were in a conversation. He was trying to convince me I was missing out because I didn't have all of the gifts of the Spirit and the, the sign gifts, the resurrection, the healing, the speaking in tongues, all of those things. And I, he said, you're missing out on the power of God. And he actually used a, a word that Forgive me, but, but he says he says you're 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 neutering God. And I says how how dare you say that? Do you understand that I see the power of God in my life every day? And I believe that you believe in the power of God. I believe that we can come to an agreement on the power of God. The only difference between you and me is that I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit in my life comes through the Word of God. And you believe that it comes through the gifts that you receive so everybody else can see how holy you are. You're looking at it from a personal view. You're looking for the glory for yourself. I'm looking for the glory of God. And I believe that power comes through His Word. We can be sure of the Word of God. You look again at verse 21 through 27 and you'll have the message. It says this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth, he looks, he sees himself, and goeth his way, and straightway, hadn't taken ten steps, forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that which is perfect is come. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. That's what the verse says about tongues and the sign gifts. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law, the perfect word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the works, 
This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious. There's a lot of seemingly religious people in the world. Don't be fooled by the smoke screen. The smoke in mirrors. Don't be fooled by the man behind the curtain. Pumping the drums and pumping the smoke. And and making the outward appearance of religiosity. Friend, it's not about smoke and mirror. That's that's garbage. It's all about the true power of the risen Lord. But whosoever looketh into that perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed, in his actions, in his works, according to the word of God. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, do you understand what that's saying? A wise old owl said in an oak, the more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. My, what a wise old bird. May I say that God gave us two ears and one mouth that we might hear twice as much as we say. That we might be used by God in a way that we can never be used by Him if we let our mouths and tongues Run amok. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Vain religion. A religion that is worthless. A religion that is, is, has not accomplished anything in our lives. Pure religion. Undefiled religion. Before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction. To keep himself unspotted from the world. My friend, we can be sure of the purpose, of the plan, of the will, of the way, of the Word of God. Because of the way God, the Holy Spirit, is moving in our hearts and in our lives. And we can even not only be sure of God in all of those different areas, but now we can turn that magnifying glass back upon our own lives. And we can either be sure of ourselves as faithful to the Lord, or we can be sure of ourselves as failing in our faithfulness to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we love you. We thank you for your love and your mercy. God, we thank you for the opportunity again just to be here in your presence. We ask, God, that you'll forgive us for our our sin. Strengthen us on the inner man. Help us, God, to be faithful to you in all that we do. We'll give you the glory and the honor for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask you to stand and turn to page 325 as we have a hymn of invitation. We're inviting you to come and to do whatever it is that God lays on your heart as we sing.
God bless you for being here this morning.